Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hi, welcome to Brainwaves. Today on the show we'll be talking to Caroline Worth, who is the manager of the Southeastern Centre Against Sexual Assault, also known as CASA. CASA is a body of 15 centres around Victoria which work to ensure victims and survivors of sexual assault have access to support services and interventions to deal with an assault, whether it be recent or an older event. Today we're going to talk about what sexual assault is, the services CASA provides and reflect on the Me Too campaign and the growing conversation about sexual assault in society. Just a warning that today's show will be diving into the topics of sexual assault and PTSD quite heavily. If you require support, contact the Sexual Assault Crisis Line on 1800 806 292, Lifeline on 13 11 14, or Wellways Helpline 1300 111 500. Okay. Well, um, can you explain what uh, CASA stands for and uh, what's your role within the organisation? CASA stands for Centre Against Sexual Assault. A number of the CASAs actually have changed their names to Centre Against Violence because they've taken on quite a lot of family violence services. But what we actually do is provide a 24-hour service for victims of sexual assault and for some of the centres for victims of family violence as well. I'm the spokesperson for the CASA Forum. The CASA Forum is the peak body for all the centres, so the managers meet once a month as a peak body. I'm also currently the spokesperson and the convener. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So what sort of services does CASA provide to victims of sexual assault? And um, do you have many victims that are males that are coming in accessing your services? services that CASAs provide in the 24-hour service is a crisis service. So people who've been sexually assaulted in the last two weeks can actually access a CASA any time of the day or night. The other criteria is if they've disclosed sexual assault within the last two weeks and they're extremely upset about it, they can also access a 24-hour service. The after-hours part of the service is called the Sexual Assault Crisis Line and that there are women who awake at night, you know, not people on call, who actually take calls between 5 and 9 in the mornings. If somebody rang in saying that they'd been assaulted in the last few days or the last couple of weeks, they would be asked if they wanted to talk to someone face-to-face and did they want the police or a medical, what sort of things would they want. If they said they wanted a face-to-face response, then the nearest local CASA would be called. Their on-call worker would be paged, or they don't page them anymore, but would be phoned on their mobile phone. And 
they would actually come in and meet them at a crisis care unit. And from there, the decision would be made after an options talk whether they wanted to talk to police, perhaps to explore some more options, whether they wanted just to talk to the counsellor and then be referred into the counselling service later. So that's the crisis part of the service. If you you rang up and you said you would like to refer yourself or somebody rang wanting to refer you and said that what you want to talk about is issues from your childhood, so say 20, 30 years ago, or an assault that was, you know, a few years ago, then you would get a counselling appointment for the next available counselling time. And that varies. And how readily available are they, Uh, Caroline, at the moment? That's a good question. There are just about everybody, and I can talk from experience with CCARS, but I think it would be for most of the CARSs, has what we would call crisis appointments. So if somebody rang up about something that happened a long while ago, more than the two weeks ago, and said, but I'm just really upset and not coping and I just need to talk to somebody, then CCARS, would say, would actually book them into a crisis appointment at either Clayton, Dandenong or Seaford, which is sort of the three main points of our area. Is um, CCARS the southeastern area of Melbourne? It is. All right, thanks. It is, and we we cover a quarter of the state's population. Mm. I hadn't said before, there are 14 cars, so there are six in the metro area, and then the other eight are in rural and regional areas. Mm Mm-hmm. So usually there is an emergency or a crisis appointment available for someone who's very distressed. If it's more, look, I need to come and talk about this because it's causing some difficulty in my life, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while, then you would get the next available appointment. How long that's away varies on how urgent they assess your need and also really which cars are you going to. I mean, our wait times currently run between four and 14 weeks. I don't think the 14 weeks is acceptable at all. Four, you know, it's a long while, but it's probably not too terrible in terms of, you know, waiting for an appointment when you've already made the first move. But it would be much better if everybody's wait times were running two to four weeks. Mm. Males, going on to males. A fifth of our intake are males. So one in five of the clients we see are men. Some of those are under 18, but quite a lot of them are older men, mostly coming about childhood issues. Mm -hmm. A few come about a recent assault, but it's a bit like it was for women 30, 40 years ago. Men aren't that keen to come and talk about a recent assault. They have a lot of barriers for that, but they will come occasionally because they need either the HIV prophylaxis or they really feel they need a medical or they're very annoyed and they want the police to follow something up. But that's a small proportion of the people we see. The bulk of the people we see male would be coming about childhood issues. But then most of the women we see are coming about childhood issues as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the short-term effects on a person's well-being of, of sexual assault? Okay, so if you'd been assaulted, say, last Saturday night? Yes. Okay. Look, 
if you'd been assaulted recently and it had left you extremely scared and fearful for your life, you're going to be like hypervigilant and jumpy and probably not sleeping very well, not eating properly. You're not going to have PTSD that quickly because you know it takes about a month for people to be sure that that's settled in. But you would certainly, for a lot of people, be extremely anxious and feeling quite uncomfortable around males say if it was a male assault and mostly it is and you, you would have some for some people they have some trouble going out they don't want to go out they want to stay home a place they feel safe and comfortable mm-hmm. it leaves you just very un, very uneasy about the whole world because somewhere or someone that you thought was safe has actually made your world you know a very unsafe dangerous place can you tell us about um, the long-term effects, you know, in, in juxtaposition for, of what you've just told us about the short-term effects? Okay, look, the long-term effects depend to some degree about when you were assaulted, the age you were. If you were assaulted or to have childhood sexual abuse over a number of years, that has some very long-term effects for some people. And none of this applies to everyone because some people have amazing resilience. And it's just the luck of the draw, to be quite honest, as far as I can see. But for most, most of us, if you were assaulted during your childhood for a number of years, it teaches you all sorts of things about the world that are not useful. It teaches you you can't trust people who you should be able to trust, who are close to you, because most children are abused by people they know. There are not a lot of stranger assaults on children. We tend to think there are because there's always a lot of publicity and shock horror around that. But in reality, most children are abused by either family members or by, you know, trusted strangers, trusted people who lived up the street or people who are allowed into the home. So if that's the case for you, then often you've grown up with a quite skewed idea of how safe the world is and how people can be relied on which is that basically they can't be and that they tell you this is okay and it turns out not to be so that adds for a lot of people gives them a lot of difficulties they get to their teenage years and they're not actually good with authority figures so that has problems for them at school if the abuse has left them with trouble with concentrating they don't do well at school because they're always ruminating on what's happening and should they tell someone and what would happen if they do tell or they don't tell because if you groom somebody you sort of feed them a lot of messages that change how the world is for them so you groom them that this is okay this is our special secret you're a special person this is why this is happening and then as they get older they find that that's not right and this person has been actually not treating them properly and they sometimes people get a real issue about authority figures which if you're at school is not useful because obviously schools are run in certain disciplinary ways and it becomes quite hard for them to manage now they get into the workforce and they have some difficulty working around men or working with men who are in a position of authority over them and that doesn't work for them, or they actually don't have a really good way of judging who is a good person to be around. 
And a long while ago, I used to think about this a lot, and then I read Van der Kolk once, who was talking about the body keeps the store, the score, mm-hmm. and he was talking about it. You'd sometimes think clients have a little sign on their forehead saying, pick me. Well, I did, because I think, why do they have all these terrible things happening sequentially? And his take on that was that Basically, they don't have the normal feelings that we all have when we're in an uncomfortable situation because they've learnt to be uncomfortable and stay in the situation. Whereas for a lot of us, we think, this doesn't feel right, I'm out of here. Mm. But their response to that is, this doesn't feel right, but I'll, I'll stay where I am because I'm used to it not feeling right. So it's not like it's victim blaming. It's a plain thing that your body's learnt to do, just keep you there. So, you know, often they pick up with unsuitable people. They can't judge who's a good person to decide to make a partner of or have children with. Mm. Mm. Um, I was just wondering about the short-term and long-term effects. Um, do people who say, ac- like, access CASA, um, well, like, after a recent assault, um, after they pretty much get, like, counselling and everything, does do they end up coming back to CASA um, in the future to seek more help or is it more just people who have suffered from long-term effects that continue to kind of access the services? Look, it's probably both because if you've had a recent assault, say last Saturday night, and before that your life was fine, you were studying, you had a part-time job, you've got a supportive family, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to have happened to you. It will give you a really unpleasant set of things to deal with over the next few months, six months, a year. If you go to court, probably two years, because the court will bring it all back for you because, you know, you have to relive some things. Yes. But I would suggest that you will move on with your life. That will be an unpleasant thing that happened to you that you learnt something from and that in a year or two's time you will be back on track. However, if you were abused from 4 to 14 by, say, your father or your brother-in-law or your granddad, Mm -hmm. there's a whole load of other things come into play for you, which is that you have been taught a whole load of things about the world, a lot of things about this world, which, well, are accurate in your case and accurate for a number of people, but are not useful things to know in terms of making the world work for you. And... They're the sort of things I've mentioned before that, you know, you don't, you don't trust authority figures because they couldn't be trusted because older people are authority figures for children. That you've perhaps learned to use some drugs, some alcohol to actually deal with some of the internal feelings you have. It dulls them. And that can become a very destructive habit as you get older. But there's a whole load of problems people learn. Whole, sorry, a whole load of things people learn as ways to deal with the feelings they have. Mm. Yeah, uh, you've also, um, I understand, have specialised information for men who've experienced sexual assault. And how would you say their experience um, is different? Okay, there are a lot of commonalities between men and women with their sexual assault, but there's there's a couple of added things that happen for men. So if you take a recent assault on a male, they invariably think, and we don't get this with females half as much, occasionally young women who are streetwise, but they feel they should have been able to handle themselves. So it's sort of an assault on their masculinity. Women don't have that reaction, that it's an assault on the, the nature of being a woman. 
they think it sort of goes with the territory at one level, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. The other thing they often come in saying is, did they think I was gay? Now, that's fine, but for that particular person, that is something that bothers them. Why were they picked on? Why was it them who got assaulted and not somebody else? And some of the similar results, you get some of the similar reactions from people who are assaulted in their teens. You know, why was it me? Why would he do that? And the same with some of the younger children. You know, they'll say, I feel I did something to provoke it or it was partly my fault. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have told my parents. Well, why? You know, because you were already told if you tell your parents everything will be dreadful and this will happen or your mum will leave home or someone will go to jail. So, you know, children are susceptible to those sorts Mm. of threats and they're like bribes really aren't they and for some kids there are some positives which you know you'd rather not think about really which go for male and female especially when you're being given lots of presents and treated very well as a special child in a family say that has limited capacity to provide a lot of special treatment for children because Mm. they either have a lot of children and you know not a lot of money or people are really taken up with day-to-day worries Mm. thank you um, would you like to make some comments on the Me Too movement um, and could you describe it to us? Are you in a position to comment on that? I can try and comment on that. I saw, I saw it starting. We have a large social media presence, CCARS, yes. so we saw the Me Too movement starting and then it moved from my perspective to the celebrities in Hollywood and to yes. the, um, I've forgotten what night that was, the Golden Globes, was that right? Uh, I think I think so. So I think what had happened is it was a, it was on the week. Um, I think Harvey Winston or Weinstein. Some, Weinstein. Yep. Um, so basically, I think someone tweeted saying, "If all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status update, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem." That's right. And then that from there, right. it kind of went it viral. Did. It did. So, look, that's actually right. So, from our perspective, when the Harvey Weinstein issue hit the press, that we noticed that there was this upsurge for us in our social media contact, but also the Me Too movement started. Then the women went to the Golden Globes in their black dresses, most of them, making the point that they'd, a number of them had actually suffered sexual harassment at the hands of Harvey Weinstein and other people. I thought that actually for the whole field was, at the beginning, a really terrific thing because these are women people admire, people look up to, they read about their lives. So I think it gave a huge boost to publicity about this sort of behaviour is not acceptable, that you should come out and break the silence. And I think women have been doing that, and I think that's actually really terrific. Mm-hmm. Only comment I'd have about it is you need to do more than go on social media in the end because you could just end up feeling terrible that so many people say me too and we then have to take some action. It's like going back to the 70s when it wasn't enough to just put up your posters. You had to march and you had to ask them to change legislation, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and provide more resources for places like Casas. Well, that's right, and have more resources provided. And you're right, back when all of this started in the mid-70s, there were no cars and there were no resources. Mm. So I would never say that things are 
as they were then, which I hear people occasionally say, oh, things are terrible. Well, things were terrible in 75, and there were lots of gaps now and lots of things that could be improved, but things have improved. There is somewhere to go. You know, people can post on social media and can have an exchange with other people, and it helps them break the silence. Mm-hmm. We have um, something called Sarah. Sarah's Sexual Assault Reporting Anonymously, and we get a lot of reports... It started off quite slowly after the rape and murder of Jill Ma. We actually decided we'd make an anonymous reporting app, and now it's a mobile-friendly website. But people report on Sarah, and I think it's quite easy to report on Sarah. There's only a few drop-down boxes. Of the people who report, 48% of them then put their contact details saying, could we contact them? They'd either like counselling or to talk to the police. And I think that's because they've actually broken the silence by actually, you know, writing about it. Mm, And I think that's the same with the Me Too movement, really, that for some people they haven't told anybody ever, and that gives them an opportunity to actually, you know, move on and tell other people about what's happened and then decide what they want to do about it. Yeah, and I definitely think there's been a lot of criticism with the Me Too campaign, like going viral on social media, especially from people... Um, who don't really understand why some people take so long to actually reveal that they've been sexually assaulted or harassed. I know in my situation, when I was assaulted, I kind of wanted justice as soon as I could, so I reported it as soon as I can, like I could. Um, but I think I think there's a bit of misconception about like why does it take like five or ten years for people to come out and reveal what has happened to them. You're actually right. People get criticised for not coming forward. but I, And I think there's a multitude of reasons why some people don't come forward. I mean, I think in some cases people think, look, that's not how I deal with things and I don't want to go through the court case and the judicial system yes. and I can manage this. And then, you know, a few years down the track something happens and they think I'm not managing as well as I thought which goes for a lot of things in our lives and they think I'll go and talk to someone about it you know and that person they're talking to says perhaps you should report that might be part of your recovery yes and you know I think that's a legitimate reason that that's not how I deal with things I deal with it by trying to just pop it aside and get on and I think for other people, especially those abused in their childhood, they're not always clear it was abuse until they read something or they come across something and they think, you know, that was abuse and I'm really angry about it. Yes. You know, so that can be a long while on. You know, they've got married, they've had three kids, two kids, they put their kids through school. And then we have a significant number of women in their mid-late 40s who think there's some time for me now and I want to deal with this. Yes. Mm, um, so what do you think maybe some of the more negative impacts like from the Me Too campaign? Do you feel that the Me Too campaign will continue, especially in Hollywood with um, celebrities making a stand? Look, I think the Hollywood women are a whole different world to you know migrant women and women in jobs where... Really, if they say too much, they will get sacked because they're a casual and there won't be a lot of comeback. But I think the making a stand makes a very visible stand, which it isn't, you know, if somebody who works in a local factory makes a stand. So 
so I think it will continue. I think they're actually have moved it to another level at the moment about pay and equality all round, gender equality, and the yes. fact that often men are paid far more than women for exactly the same task and probably for the same net gain for the studio. So I think they will probably keep that moving along. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, we were wanting to ask you about the uh, term sexual assault. It's such a, a broad term. And we were wondering if you could um, define it for us in terms, from your professional perspective, um, what it is and what it isn't. Look, there's a couple of definitions definitions of sexual assault. There's a legal one, which is, you know, sexual assault is a certain number of things. You'll have to look it up, but, you know, you can't, and it hinges around consent. So you can't consent if you're frightened or you're drug affected or you're affected by alcohol or you're in, well, you're in fear, I've said that. Mm-hmm. So there are all those things. You could sort of read those out for people. But for causes, sexual assault is any behaviour of a sexual nature that makes you feel uncomfortable and has caused you some concern. And that would get you an appointment. So some of the things that would not get you a police charge would actually get you access to a CASA service. And it could be really somebody sexually harassing you with all sorts of innuendo and comments that have just made you feel really threatened. And it might be amplified by the fact that you were abused in your childhood, but you thought you'd dealt with it, but now you're starting to feel you know, mm. threatened and uncomfortable again. Ours is a much broader definition than the straightforward legal one. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and just lastly, to finish off, if anyone who's listening has been sexually harassed or assaulted, whether it's been in the past or even like in, within the past few weeks, um, what type of advice would you give them and would you suggest them to contact CASA straight away? Look, I'd suggest they talk to someone. If they don't like agencies and people you know, in professional positions and some people don't, find a trusted friend to talk to, someone you don't think will tell other people, etc. You know, someone you really trust. If you want to talk to someone, and you can do it anonymously, you could ring any of the local CASAs for you, and you could ring the Sexual Assault Crisis Line, which is 1-800-806-292. Thank you so much for that. Pleasure. Thanks, Carolyn. Good luck. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and experience with our listeners. Um, Just to repeat, uh, you can find more about CASA at their website, casa.org.au, and the line for the Sexual Assault Crisis Line is 1-800-806-292. Lifeline can be contacted on 131114, and they also have an online chat, and the Wellways Helpline can be contacted from 9 till 9 on 1300 so that's all for Brainwaves today. You can find more episodes of our show at our website, brainwaves.org.au, and on the 3CR website. That's 3cr.org.au. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. Stay tuned for Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.